Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Liverpool One Church, you guys are sounding amazing today. Why don't you go ahead and take your seats? It is just brilliant to have every single one of you that is joining us in church today. And also for all of our online family too, you are just as much part of our family here at Liverpool One Church. And I don't know about you, but I just feel encouraged already that the God that we serve, He really is that miracle-making, chain-breaking God. And I don't know how you've come to be in church today, but my hope and prayer for you is that when you leave today, that you will walk out of church knowing, feeling and sensing that that same miracle-making, chain-breaking God that we sing about is also a reality in your life. Two, we're actually going to be continuing in just a few moments with our current series, um, The Blessing of Being Stuck. But before we do that, I just want to give you a real quick update because I know that it's been heavy on your hearts as it has mine with regards to just current, you know, what's going on in the world right now and with Ukraine and Russia. And a couple of weeks ago, we gave you the opportunity to sow a financial seed to help people who are hurting the most right on the Poland border. And we're working through an organisation called Convoy of Hope. So what I want to do is I just want to give you a little bit of insight uh, into where your financial giving has actually gone. Because you heard me say on week one, right, that I'm always a bit nervous. I'm always a little bit anxious whenever we're going to look at giving money away because I'm like you. I want to make sure that the pound that I give gets into the pound, gets into the hands of those that need it the most. And Convoy of Hope have done just that. So why don't you fix your eyes on the screens for just two minutes and let me give you a real quick update for where we're at with Convoy of Hope out on the border in Poland. We're on the ground here in Poland in a warehouse that we have just leased. Here you will find the very first load of product that will go into a truck and be shipped into Ukraine where churches will get the supplies they need to the Ukrainians who need them. Soon, these shelves will be stocked with emergency supplies for the Ukrainian refugees who are coming across the border and continued supplies for those who stay. Here we are in the offices of the warehouse where you will find a bunch of Ukrainian volunteers who have found shelter locally. They are here volunteering to help for the cause of their fellow refugees. And so we thank you for everything you are doing to help these people in their time of need. If you'd like to contribute to continue this work, please donate at convoyhope.org/ukraine. And I just want you guys to know that actually those shelves in those warehouses, they're now full because this is over a week old that this video was taken. So I just want to say like a huge thank you to every single one of you that calls Liverpool One Church your home and you've been committed to help some of the world's most hurting. So like from the bottom of our hearts, Thank you for being compassionate. Thank you for being generous to a bunch of people who really, man, they've not chosen this upon themselves. And I would love to think that if we were ever in a situation like that, I would love to think that there was a church on the other side of the world that was, 
you know, or on the other side of Europe that was willing to just do something. And we know that we might not be able to do everything, but we can all do a something. So thank you for your giving so far. And also to let you know, we're going to continue raising funds for Ukraine. So at the end of the service, we're going to give you the opportunity and um, to, to just bring your regular tithes and offerings. But if you did specifically want to give into that Ukraine appeal, you can simply do that by tagging your giving Ukraine and we will pick it all up. So hey, listen, we're going to go into week three of our current series right now. And I guess that I want to start off by just saying this. If you maybe growing up through school, maybe having done university, maybe in your job and your career right now, if you are like the standout guy, the standout girl, the the top of the shelf kind of individual, the A-gamer, the A-starer in everything. Like when it comes to sport, you're amazing. When it comes to academia, you're just incredible. And if you're just like, you're aware of what it's like to be at the top of your game. You're aware of what it's like to almost be the best of the best in and amongst your friendship groups and your friendship circles. I just want to encourage you from the off and let you know that God can still use you. And the reason why I want to say it that way around is because history will tell us and Scripture will teach us that actually when it comes down to the people that God uses the most, He doesn't ordinarily use the A-star as the A-gamers, the top of the class, the top of the game kind of people. The kind of people that God ordinarily uses the most are just ordinary people, like ordinary, regular, nine to five kind of girls and guys that often feel like we live our life trying trying to be pleasing to God, but so often we miss the mark and we fall short. And yet Scripture teaches us that that's exactly the candidate that God wants to use, that God uses people like that. And I want to encourage you ordinary people today, you seemingly ordinary folk, that God absolutely wants to use you. In fact, I'm convinced that God has got a unique plan for your life. And it's the kind of plan that if today you are willing to open up your heart to finding out what God's plan is for you for the first time, or maybe even reopening your faith to a dream that God has previously planted in your life many years ago. For some of you, it will be decades, but it's just kind of gone by the wayside and life has taken over and you've got busy with all this other stuff and now you've got a full schedule and you don't really know what God wants to do in your life anymore and you certainly don't know what the plan is that He wants to outwork in your life. If you're sat there today feeling like, well, I want in on that, then I wanna encourage you that by the end of church today, I'm gonna give you three really clear ways for how you can outwork God's divine plan in your life. And it's the kind of plan that we all dream and desire of. It's the kind of plan that outlives who you are. It's the kind of plan that outlives the work of your hands. It's the kind of plan that when you do it and when you're involved in it, you feel and you sense like God's pleasure. But the plan that God often wants to outwork in your life is often just not easy. Often, It is filled with agony, sometimes even anxiety. Sometimes you can become overwhelmed with a sense of doubt, like, God, what are you even doing in my life? For some of us, it can feel confusing. For some of you, you will feel the heartache, you will feel the pain of failure. For some of you, 
You will have people laugh at you because you get on a path of wanting to pursue God's plan for your life. And there will be people that will mock you and will skit you and will call you out and try and embarrass you in front of people. So I'm saying all of this though, to say that it's still worth it. Even if you're an ordinary person, it's still completely worth it. And the story in the Bible that we're gonna go to in a moment once we've prayed together is a story about a really ordinary man that allowed God to use him in an extraordinary way. And actually it's in the Old Testament, it's the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 18, verse two, it says about Nehemiah this key scripture. It just says, so they began the good work. In other words, it's recording the time and the season that Nehemiah started to do the very thing that he felt like God had placed him on the planet for. It was the time and season that he felt like I'm now in the bullseye of God's will for my life. So he started a good work. And I just wanna encourage you, I think that there is a good work for you, for me, for us all to be involved in. And maybe by the end of church today, you will have faith to believe that God in you and through you will also commence or rekindle a good work. So can we just bow our heads for a moment? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are an incredibly kind and gracious and loving God. And you know that we don't always get it right, but our hearts are so wanting to live a life that is pleasing to you. So today, perhaps for the first time, would you give us the faith to believe that you truly do have a good work for us all to be involved in, that you have a plan for our life, that you've got a purpose that maybe we've even known once but walked away from. Give us the faith today to not feel like our life is stuck outside of your purpose, but rather, to have the courage and the strength and the bravery to live out your plan for our life in our world, in Jesus' Name. And everybody said together, Amen. So we are gonna look at the story of Nehemiah. One of the reasons why I love the book of Nehemiah is it spoke so much to me personally when we were planting this church a few short years ago. But what's interesting is that Nehemiah, he wasn't a king, he wasn't a warrior, he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a priest. He, he was just an ordinary, regular guy. He was an ordinary, regular guy though, that felt that he had been compelled by God to make a difference, not necessarily in the world, but in his world. He had this sense of God has got a plan for me to outwork in my life. And he went on this course of action to figure out how to implement that plan, that sense of God's purpose in his world. But it wasn't just for the benefit of him, it was intriguing because it was the, for the benefit of other people around him. Now, Nehemiah, he was the cup bearer to a king, in fact, a Persian king. The king was called King Artaxerxes. Now, being a cupbearer, and I guess that that language is a little bit different for us all because we don't necessarily apply for roles of being the cupbearer anymore, but it was a really trusted position in any kingdom. 
And that's because if you were a king that was ruling over a nation, it would be highly likely in this context that there would be numerous assassination attempts on your life. Like people would take you out. It was a common theme. So what they would do with the cupbearer is he was a personal employee, in Nehemiah's case, of King Artaxerxes to taste the wine before the king would ever have it touch his lips. Now, I have no idea how you would ever get an insurance policy on this, but Nehemiah's job was to make sure that the wine wasn't poisoned. So if Nehemiah lived, King Xerxes would be happy to simply consume the wine. But what we know is that even though he was working, just like you and I work, in a relatively trusted position, well, many of you know what that's like. Many of you are business owners, you're managers, you are team leaders, you know what that's like. He, he was still just a really ordinary man. He was an ordinary man that on one really ordinary day, he had a really ordinary conversation that completely moved him. In fact, we could say that it broke him. It was a weight for Nehemiah. Because what happens in Nehemiah 1 is that he starts to ask questions that say, hey, how are my ancestors doing? Because he knew the history and we're gonna go there very briefly. But he was asking, how are all my family and all of my friends, how are my people, because Nehemiah was Jewish, how are my people doing back in Jerusalem? Are they okay? Like, how is everybody doing? And in Nehemiah 1 verse 2, he gets this response. Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. It's a conversation, like we say, between Nehemiah and a trusted person, and he's asking about his homeland. Because approximately 140 years prior to this conversation taking place, which was about 586 years before Christ, BC, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar had literally gone in and attacked Nehemiah's homeland. What that meant was that the city of Jerusalem and its surrounding areas had been completely destroyed. I mean, not only was there a physical destruction that was taking place, but the Babylonians were in fact trying to completely destroy the Jewish culture and way of life. And we know that because even Solomon's temple was destroyed. Now, if you're wondering what Solomon's temple was, it was a really big deal if you were Jewish living in Jerusalem. It would be almost like the equivalent to, to a landmark church in a major city. And it was the place of community where everybody would gather and come to worship God. And now what had happened is the temple lay in ruins. And with it, so did the dreams, the hopes and the aspirations of all of those that lived in Jerusalem at the time. We also find out that the gates that surrounded the city of Jerusalem lay in rubble as well. Now that was such a big deal. It was a huge deal in this culture and context because without having gates that would be able to secure your city, it just meant that you were consistently exposed you know, to scallywag raiders just coming in and attacking you and trying to defeat you and trying to loot you. And without having a wall that could secure you, 
You then could not have any infrastructure that would be able to support employment and money and a way of making a living. So everything was really in just tat and ruins. And Jerusalem is wrecked, but so too is the morale and the hope of those that were living in Jerusalem at this time. Because now, decades later, there were approximately 50,000 Jewish people that had moved back to Jerusalem and they were trying their best, but they weren't getting very far, to try and bring the city back to life. They just weren't able to get anything going. So this is the context of Nehemiah having this conversation. And then in verse three, it says this. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Again, we're reiterating the problem that comes to any city in this context when its wall is broken. You just can't get anything going. And if you can't get anything going, you can't work, you can't earn, you can't support your family. It's a big deal. And this bothered Nehemiah. Like this hit Nehemiah to his core. And it wasn't the fact that his ancestors were stuck. It was the fact that he was sick and tired of them being stuck. Like for decades now, they've been trying to get something going. They'll have been turning up in the city, trying to rebuild the walls, trying to do the thing, trying to re-familiarise themselves with how we get infrastructure going. And they were just consistently failing. They were stuck, but now they were sick and tired of being stuck. Anybody here ever felt like that? Man, I'm just sick and tired of being stuck. Like you can't get to where you wanna to get to, you can't accomplish the things that you dream of, that you hope of doing. Like you just get so frustrated because it feels like you can't get to in life the very place that was a dream once and now it just feels like a distant, vague hope and what's the point in believing in distant, vague hopes? This was how Nehemiah was feeling. He was feeling stuck and sick and tired of being stuck. So the first thing, and Nehemiah did three things. When he felt sick and tired of being stuck, he did three things in his life that saw God work out his plan and purpose in Nehemiah's life. And sometimes I just wonder if this holy and sacred text that we follow and pursue with our entire lives, what if there are just some amazing hidden secrets within there that when we look at and study the life of Nehemiah, if we did the same thing that Nehemiah did, I just wonder whether that would be the very thing that would open up the doors for God working out His plan and His purpose that would be bigger than us, that would outlast us in our world. I wonder whether if we did the same thing as Nehemiah, we could have the same effect as well. So the first thing that Nehemiah did, and we're told this in verse four, it says this, when Nehemiah heard this, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. The very first thing that Nehemiah did when he felt like he was so sick and tired of being stuck was he sat down and the boy cried like a baby. Like this, he is going, he's an emotional wreck right now. And it's kind of interesting to me because there were many things that he could have done, but what he chose to do first was almost allow that emotion to actually overcome him. He says that he sat down and cried. Why? Because he felt like there was nothing that he could do. It felt like to him 
He was trying to make something better, but he had no control over it. For him, it felt like he was trying to do good, but he had no idea how he could do anything at all. So he sat down, he gets all upset, he hangs his head in his hands, he sits in a shade and the boy starts to cry. And it's interesting to me that he does this when you look at the fact that he's a thousand miles away from his homeland, right? I mean, Nehemiah's got a great life. Nehemiah has got it really good. He is in one of the most trusted positions working as the cupbearer for the king. I mean, the reality of it is what was happening in Jerusalem, it didn't actually directly affect Nehemiah at all. Nehemiah had it going on. Nehemiah's Instagram account, man, it looked amazing. Like he had everything that everybody else wanted. He's got the job, he's got a bit of prestige that comes with the job. Imagine it like this. Nehemiah got to be in all the secret conversations that the king and the other kings of other kingdoms would all come in to discuss and talk about it. Like Nehemiah knew about that first, you know, and at the same time, he's always there just putting on his Instagram, just hashtag happy to serve. You know, he's like got an easy life. He's got it good. And yet what we find is a thousand miles away from home, he becomes broken because of the plight of those that are living in Jerusalem. He becomes weighed down and bogged down with this sense of, God, what can we do to help? And it all starts when he sat down and he cried and he chose to let the pain in. In other words, he wasn't just instantly dismissive. He chose to let the pain in and he sat down and cried. So my question to you, what is it that breaks your heart? What is there that in the stillness of the night, when you think about it, what is it that maybe even moves you emotionally? And could it be that that thing that bothers you in the same way that what bothered Nehemiah was the very thing to highlight to Nehemiah what he needed to be doing in his life, I wonder, could the same thing be God's way of letting you know that what you get emotional about is also the very thing that God wants to use you in? What is it that breaks your heart? Because for some of you, it's the plight of hurting children. For some of you, it's helping orphans. You know, we do a great work in this church with compassion out in Kenya. And man, for some of you, you are so passionate about that and you just wanna be involved. But for others, it's not necessarily children. For some of you, it's, it's the pain of addiction. Like maybe you've known what it's like to have the gambling addiction, to have the drug addiction, to have the abuse with alcohol. Maybe you've known that. Or maybe you've been so adversely affected by someone close to you that struggled with it so much that now when you see people with an addiction, your heart just kind of breaks on the inside and you're like, someone should do something about this. For others, it's, it's homelessness. For others, it's helping the plight of trafficked women. What a brilliant cause to get involved in. For others, it's impoverished people. For others, it's the fact that there's no drinking water in certain parts of our planet. For some of you, it's this sense of wanting to stand up on behalf of maybe even the unborn and those that can't speak for themselves. But my question is, is what is it that bothers you? What is it that in the stillness of the night, it kind of breaks your heart? It feels like it's a burden for you. For my wife and I, our burden was planting a church. But let me tell you some of the background and the context to 
that becoming our burden. We, like you, we have committed our life, we, we, we phrase it like this, we say we're people of the red text because in our Bibles, in the New Testament, everything that Jesus speaks is written in red ink. And I've always felt that that's like the call on my life to just try to the very best of my ability to follow and implement the red text in my world. And I would read scriptures that would talk about how God so loved the world, not just a select group of people, but the whole world, and that he gave his one and only son to die for the whole world, so that the whole world could know who God is and have a real relationship with him and get heaven. That's the world, not a group, not a community, not a small kind of clique or a gathering. And yet I remember being in a conversation one time and it was a leader's conversation. And the leader's conversation in a church was all about how we had to manage and stop more undesirable people coming into the church. And I can remember that night walking home almost in tears thinking to myself, if there's any place on the planet that the world needs to feel welcome to because we follow the red text, it's surely got to be the church. And at the same time as hearing all of this conversation about we've got to stop these undesirables and what they meant was, was we've got to stop these people that maybe come in and they smoke a bit or, or maybe they've got a history of doing drugs or maybe they've even done time in a prison. But at the same time as that undesirable conversation, my two brothers who were both kind of like 18, 19, 20 and had grown up in church their whole life, literally turned their back on church and walked out of it and said, this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't relate to me. I am not interested in this anymore. And those two events weighed heavy on our hearts to the point in which we committed the rest of our lives to being people who can outwork the red text as we would see it to try and create an environment that makes it easy for people to follow God where we can gather and change lives for Christ one life at a time. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter whether you're in the auditorium or watching online. You're welcome here. You're part of the family because it's not about you. It's about how good our God is, right? And I think that that for me has been a passion just year after year that never seems to die down or dwindle away. But what is it that you are passionate about? What is it that breaks your heart? Because when you know what it is, you first, you've got to sit down and just have a moment and connect with whatever it is that you're feeling. But when you're sick and tired of crying, as well as being sick and tired of being stuck, the second thing that Nehemiah did was this. He knelt down to pray and you've got to do the same thing to do, to do as well. After you've had that emotional moment of feeling like this bothers me, you've got to make a decision to kneel down and pray because if it's big enough to cry about it, it's certainly big enough to pray about it. And I don't want you to make the same mistake that I have made in my life sometimes whereby I've got all upset and all emotional about something and I've even had conversation with people about it and kind of said, can you believe this? Or why is that not being done? And all of that emotional, passionate thing that's stirring up in my soul, I've never actually taken to God about. And yet he's the one person that can make the biggest difference in whatever it is that I'm emotional about. And we've got to learn to do exactly the same thing too. So Nehemiah, it tells us that he knelt down to pray. The scripture reads, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In verse five, he says, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. What's he doing? He's, he's reminding God now of his faithfulness and his faithful ways. He's almost reminding God about God doesn't forget hurting and broken people. He's reminding God of who his character tells us that he is. And now he's almost kind of bringing himself to this place where he's gonna ask for permission to go and help to get involved and actually do something. And verse 11 reads, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. So what's he doing? Nehemiah is getting ready to go and ask the king, can I be relieved of my duties? Because somebody needs to do something back in Jerusalem. He's getting ready to go and show his face before the king, which is such a big deal, by the way. Because if you appear before the king and you are sorrowful or downcast in your persona, did you know that the king, he could just have you killed instantly? So Nehemiah now, he's praying and he's asking that God would go before him. He's praying and he's asking that God would grant him favour so that he can do something regarding what's happening in Jerusalem. He doesn't want them to live in the pain and the hurt and the anguish anymore. So what's he gonna do about it? He's not just gonna cry about it, but he's gonna pray about it too. And he's saying, God, I need you in this. I need you in it all the way. And in fact, this very first prayer that we see Nehemiah praying is just one of 12 prayers that throughout the book of Nehemiah, you can see that Nehemiah makes every choice and decision that he does in such a way that it is bathed in prayer before God. It's like he involves God in prayer at the beginning, he involves him in the middle, and at the end as well, the whole thing. And you've got to know that Nehemiah, he was a leadership genius. He was a fantastic strategist. He is switched on. Like he is one super sharp cookie. Almost, you could say, does he really need to be praying to God about stuff? Like he's a competent guy. Like he can go and do stuff. But here what we find is Nehemiah. He has a mindset that says, I'm not going to put my hand to anything which isn't first filled with faith-filled prayer. So what did he do? He sat down and he cried and then he knelt down and he prayed. And you should do exactly the same. If you're trying to figure out like, what is God's plan for your life? You sit down and cry and then you kneel down and pray. And then the third and final thing that he does is this. It tells us that Nehemiah, he stands up to act. Because Nehemiah doesn't just pray to the king for favour. What he actually then does is he implements this boldness and this courage and he takes himself and marches in to the courtyard of where the king is seated and he asks the king for permission to go and be in Jerusalem. He asks him for materials. He asks him for stuff. In other words, Nehemiah was not only not prepared to cry about something and then not pray about it, but he was also not willing to pray about something that he was unwilling to do anything about as well. He stands up and he acts. Like he goes and does it. He, he makes a difference. He goes and asks the authorities that are above him to try and figure out like, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna make this work? But he stands up to act because he knows the city walls are in ruins. He knows that his people are broken. 
He knows that they're struggling. And there's a sense within Nehemiah, and I think that many of you today carry this sense too, about whatever it is that breaks your heart. It's this sense of someone needs to do something about this. That's why this church started, because we felt someone needed to do something about this. We should create an environment that just makes it easy for people to follow God. We should just be making it simple to follow the red text. We should not be discriminatory. We should be people who embrace the idea that as a church, the kingdom of heaven is for everyone. It's not just for a small number of people, but Nehemiah was doing the same thing. He was saying, someone has got to act. Someone's got to do something. Someone has got to get involved. So our holy discontent has been church, but but what is yours? What is the plan that God has for your life that maybe you suspect that He would want to use you in? Because for some of you, you knew what it once was, but you've ran off and you've thrown your entire life into your career. And now and the more that you throw yourself into it, the money's great, the rewards are fantastic, the prestige is fantastic too. But the more you throw your world into it, you know that there's still something missing and it's not age dependent, but there's still something that you've not yet done or got involved in or seen fulfilled in your life. And you sense that this is God's knocking on your heart to say, man, I've got so much more in store for you. For us, it was church, but what is it for you? What is it that you're willing to get emotional about? What is it that you're willing to sit down and pray about? And what is it that you're willing to say, no more, not on my watch. Someone needs to do something about this. You know, the funny thing is, is when we started this church, nobody had a good word to say about us. Now, don't worry, you don't need to get your violins out. I'm not after sympathy. It's not that kind of a gig, right? But when we started, honestly, the truth be told, like people were incredibly critical Um, even people that we had done relationship with for a long time and we held in such high regard, we'd hoped that they would be for us, but they were completely against us. And it felt at times incredibly difficult. And when we were starting this church, not only did it feel difficult in the sense of we had zero credibility because we were nothing and no one and we still are nothing and no one. Long may that remain the same. Let us never ever think we're someone. But what was real tough was how other ministers and other people would sometimes be towards us. I remember one time, the first time I was ever invited to a pastor's leadership session, which was where leaders of other churches would all gather in at the end of the session because I was the new boy. They said to me, hey, you know, like, will you pray for us? And you know, the way that we all pray is a little bit different, but the way I pray, you know, it's just kind of, it's just kind of quiet. It's just kind of still. It's just kind of like, just quiet. It's, it's not pretty spectacular, but their particular leaning was prayer should be very loud and it should be only done when you're pacing ferociously across a room and raising your arms and pointing. And, and my prayer was not like that. And at the end of the prayer meeting, the guy that was leading the thing, he kind of put his head up with this sense of just disappointment in the prayer that I just prayed. And now he said before everybody else, he says, now I think that we should probably pray 
properly. Now, uh, as a young pastor, <laughs> like how do you not get suicidal about that? Like supposed to be leading the church and, and the guy doesn't even know how to pray, right? But there's been so many times and seasons where it's felt like, man, we're, we're incredibly alone in this. And yet the mad thing is for me, I've always felt this sense that one day, somehow, God was gonna use us and maybe even this church to be involved somehow, some way in planting and starting other churches, life-giving churches that were full of people committed to the red text that understood that Jesus' life was given not for a club or a group or a clique, but was given for the world. But I had no idea how that would ever happen or could ever come to fruition. No idea at all. And in fact, a number of years ago, and again, please don't get the violins out. I remember us starting to have some conversation and, and the guy that I was looking for just affirmation from to say like, man, you'd be brilliant at helping other churches to get off the ground and do some stuff. He turned around and just said some really incredibly hard to hear statements that honestly, I think it knocked me off my perch and took my confidence for like two years. Because when you follow God's plan, it is never easy. But here's the thing, if God has called you, you don't need man to appoint you. You don't need that, you don't need that. If God has called you, you don't need man to appoint you. So in closing today, this is a photograph of me with some pastor friends from around the UK where this week we met with 20 other up and coming church leaders who want to plant churches all around the United Kingdom, life giving, follow the red text, in the understand that God has given the whole, has given His Son for the whole world to trust in Him. And now we launched something called ArcGB, it's the Association of Related Churches. And I'm telling you this, firstly, hey, I'm not going anywhere, like this is my main thing, this is, I'm not moving, so I don't want anybody thinking that because people have maybe seen some stuff on social media and started to wonder like, what's all this about? Well, I'm saying this to encourage you and say, if God plants a dream within your heart, often it can take years to come into fruition, but being in that room to speak into the lives of other people committed to planting life-giving churches like you guys have built here at Liverpool One. That's all that is. It's come from a time and season of getting frustrated and then choosing to kneel and pray about it, but then being willing to get up. Even when you don't feel like getting up because of the derogatory stuff that people would say about you. So in closing, what is God's plan for your life? Because if you feel and sense like maybe God's not finished with you, if you're feeling and sensing that maybe God's plan for your life isn't done yet, then I'd agree with you. So what do you do? You do what Nehemiah did. You sit down and cry, you kneel down and pray, and then you stand up and act and you throw yourself into getting involved in whatever the leading of your heart is as far as you see God working in your life. And if God has called you, you don't need to be appointed by man. You don't need that. So church, can we stand to our feet today? Let's pray. Um, we're gonna close our eyes and bow our heads for a minute. Heavenly Father, I pray and ask today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, some of these dreams, some of these desires, some of these ambitions that maybe we've got going on in the depth of our heart, 
that maybe we've walked away from, maybe we're currently dismissive of, but we know and sense, like we feel like you're tapping at the window of our heart to get involved again or get involved anew in what you wanna do in our lives, in our world. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith to not only pray about stuff, but we would have the faith to stand up and act and be involved in that God plan, in that God purpose that you've got for each and every one of us in our lives. In Jesus' Name, we pray. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.